You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. We urge Russia uh, to stop uh, escalating the rhetoric with respect to nuclear weapons and do the right thing. And the tone of the call was very constructive. This was not a, a call where President Biden was threatening the Mexican president in any way. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. It's been around the military a long, long time, and uh, I, I've known... Uh, friends who didn't make it back. Um, it's just hard. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Ukraine braces for the Russian onslaught in the east just as heavy artillery from the U.S. arrives. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics and an important conversation ahead about the war with retired Navy Admiral James DeVritis, former NATO Supreme Allied Commander Europe, with us. On this program, his take on the David and Goliath fight that is unfolding. Later, we uncover one of the most underreported stories of the week, a bipartisan effort to rein in big tech. We'll talk about the antitrust bill that emerged this week in the Senate with Jen Ree of Bloomberg Intelligence. Our panel today, Bloomberg Politics contributor, Democratic analyst Jeannie Shanzano, alongside Matt Gorman of Targeted Victory, former communications director of the National Republican Congressional Committee. President Biden's $33 billion request for Ukraine this week would provide military support through September. So clearly the administration is girding for a much longer conflict, months longer. Remembering the Pentagon thought Ukraine could fall to the Russians in a matter of days, but Ukraine's military has proven to be formidable and creative to the point where now the U.S. sees Ukraine actually winning this war. That is where we begin with retired Navy Admiral James DeVritis, former NATO Supreme Allied Commander Europe, one of the most experienced voices we can bring you here on Bloomberg. Admiral, it's great to have you, and thanks for coming in. How has your view of this conflict evolved in the last weeks, watching Ukraine stand its ground? First and foremost, we have to give enormous credit to the fighting will of the Ukrainians, utterly personified by their fearless president, Volodymyr Zelensky. He's become an international hero, and I have deep respect for him. And as someone who has been in war and been a student of war, leadership matters, spirit matters, will matters. Mm -hmm. uh, number two, the incompetence of the Russian army is breathtaking, uh, lack of ability to conduct logistics, uh, war crimes right and left, um, a terrible battle plan that spread their forces too thinly, bad generalship in mm -hmm. every level. And third and finally, um, 
the world increasingly sees this as a conflict where Ukraine must succeed if democracy is going to succeed. Yeah. And therefore, the Ukrainians are receiving the armaments they need. We're giving them the tools, Joe. They'll finish the job. Ukraine's use of technology, uh, especially drones, Admiral, has proven deadly for Russia. Uh, the ultimate example being the sinking of Russia's flagship in the Black Sea. Uh, Admiral Ukraine apparently swarmed the ship with drones to confuse its systems and then sank the boat with a missile strike. Are they are they proving that billion dollar weapons platforms are becoming irrelevant? Uh, not quite yet. What they have proven is that if you deploy a billion dollar platform in a foolish way, hmm. if you are overconfident, if you underestimate your opponent, you can be defeated in the moment by real technology. Look, uh, I went to Annapolis. Um, the first thing they teach you is don't get your flagship blown up. <laughs> what, what, what we mean by that is you don't take uh, a warship, particularly your flagship, and put it within range of these kind of systems. Okay. That's the big advantage that ships have. So bottom line, uh, this is but one example of how the Ukrainians are using the technology we're putting in their hands in order to decimate Russian forces, not just at sea, of course, Joe, but uh, ashore as well, where hundreds and hundreds of Russian main battle tanks have been knocked out, mm -hmm. um, each of them worth millions and millions of dollars being taken out by a, a drone that costs $100,000. It's a remarkable, remarkable economic story. Your colleague and co-author Elliot Ackerman was eloquent about that on Bloomberg recently, and it's something I had to ask you about. But of course, we're heading for a different fight, they say, in the Donbass, assuming this actually turns into the fight that, that Russia is promising here. Uh, our heavy artillery is just now apparently arriving in time for this uh, this stage of the war, Admiral. Will the rest get there in time for Ukraine to make a difference? Yes, and I'll tell you why. Because if you look at the failures of the Russian army thus far, you can't just wave a magic wand and assume that because they've concentrated their forces, suddenly all their problems will go away. Mm -hmm. I would believe they will continue to have logistics challenges. They certainly are going to face a well-equipped Ukrainian army one that, as we know, can use technology very creatively. Number three, um, it's a logistics race, and we are going to win it, we being the U.S. and the West, putting the weapons in the hands of the Ukrainians. And fourth, and maybe most importantly, even if the Russians could fix all the technology problems and all the logistics problems, Joe, you can't surge leadership onto a battlefield. It's mm. pretty clear the Russian soldiers don't believe in this mission in the way the Ukrainian soldiers do. So I wouldn't bet against the Ukrainians. Could a lot happen? Could the Russians have some successes? Could they ramp up a larger attack? Sure. But I wouldn't bet against the Ukrainians when this is all said and done. Russia wants to cut off Ukraine from the Black Sea to connect the dots there along the southern coast. How dangerous would that be for Ukraine if they complete that mission? It would be very dangerous. Again, we're on Bloomberg economically. Yeah. This would be uh, a dagger pointed at the heart of the Ukrainian economy long term. They export particularly their agrarian products, mm -hmm. wheat, corn, potash, all of that through those Black Sea ports. If the Russians were stopped at Crimea and, and the Russians somehow held on to Mariupol up to the Donbass, but 
Ukraine held the remainder of the seacoast mm-hmm. to the west of Crimea, I think that's survivable for the Ukrainian economy because Odessa, the largest port city of all, the real crown jewel of the northern Black Sea, would remain in Ukrainian hands. That's really the fault line. I mentioned your co-author earlier, Admiral. You both co-wrote the book 2034, a novel of the next world war in which a series of miscalculations lead to a global conflict. How likely is it that miscalculations by the U.S. or I guess more likely Russia uh, spread this war beyond Ukraine's borders? Is that what keeps you up at night? It certainly keeps me up at night. But my assessment, Joe, is that this war will remain confined largely to Ukraine. A couple of reasons for that. One, uh, Russia is not seeking to get into a full-on conflict with the United States or NATO. We would uh, militarily defeat them, and they know that. Number two, um, I think even the Russians would hit pause before they would use a nuclear weapon. That crosses a line which would lead directly to the kind of war I mentioned one moment ago. And then third and finally, uh, Putin still has enormous capability militarily. So I think it's unlikely he would use nuclear power, nuclear uh, weapons, when he's still got significant conventional capability. Having said all that, Joe, war is the most unpredictable of human activities, and thus we ought to worry about it. Uh, But uh, the best way to approach this is to continue to arm the Ukrainians. They will get this job done. Does your view on on Putin actually tapping the brakes when it comes to nuclear weapons suggest you believe Vladimir Putin is of sound mind? I think he is angry, frustrated, bitter, and disturbed, but I don't think he's crazy. This Hmm. is not mad King George with nuclear weapons. That's not where we are. We can push him back with our conventional power. He's rattling that nuclear uh, sword at us, but we need to Uh, not be scared of our shadow here. We have to continue to do what we're doing, put the weapons in the hands of the Ukrainians. Well, with that said, what does Ukraine need that we have not already provided? And I ask you that through the lens of of what we're discussing here on the southern coast. Are are there, for instance, uh, naval assets that we could give them to help them hold Odessa? Very perceptive question. And the two things that I have consistently advocated for are Uh, large-scale surface uh, missiles that can reach out deep into the Black Sea and take out Russian naval assets. And the second thing is, in the skies above Ukraine, we don't want to put up a NATO no-fly zone. That's going to require direct confrontation with Russia. But we ought to be doing everything we can to move MiG-29 heavy jet and attack aircraft The Poles had them. Hmm. A couple other NATO allies had them. We had to work to get those in the hands of the Ukraine. That was my next question for you. Would the MiGs have made a difference? I think the MiGs uh, would absolutely make a difference. They wouldn't change the complete course of the war, but they would be highly additive. And bottom line, we have given the Ukrainians absolutely everything they've asked for. The president's now asking for $33 billion. That's all good. Um, these naval missiles and heavy aircraft, I think, would be the uh, the cherry on top of the Sunday that the administration has already built. 
Retired Navy Admiral James DeVritis, a conversation that you will only hear on Bloomberg, the former NATO Supreme Allied Commander Europe Admiral. I've been looking forward to this, and I do appreciate your insights today. Thanks, Joe. Coming up, we assemble the panel for more on this with Bloomberg Politics contributor and Democratic analyst Jeannie Shanzano. Today, alongside Matt Gorman of Targeted Victory, former comms director at the National Republican Congressional Committee. They're in next on the fastest hour in politics. I'm Joe Matthew in New York. This is Bloomberg. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. This is Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. We've been briefed on the evolving war in Ukraine by retired Admiral James DeVritis. Now we turn it over to the panel. Bloomberg Politics contributor and Democratic analyst Jeannie Chanzano alongside Matt Gorman of Targeted Victory, former communications director at the National Republican Congressional Committee. Thanks to both of you for being here. Uh, Jeannie, the conversation about technology in Ukraine is really something as we consider this $33 billion request that the president has made to Congress. We hear a lot about the howitzers and the javelins and some of the, well, even the MiGs that uh, the Ukrainians have been asking for. But the progress they've made in holding off the Russian military, using more creative sort of David and Goliath uh, uh, concepts like drones, like guerrilla tactics, has been incredibly effective for them so far. Are we sending the right stuff? We seem to be. I mean, I, I was just thinking back, you know, if you we were, you know, two months ago, could any of us have imagined that they would be have been successful, successful rather at mm -hmm. holding off the Russians as they have been? And certainly much of that is due to what they've done on the ground and how creative they have been, but also what the NATO allies have done in terms of giving this kind of assistance. And so, you know, as we see this sort of change in terms of the war and, and we see the need 
need for more heavy weapons. We are seeing sort of a a, a shift, if you will. Yes. And and certainly um, they have you know done a remarkable job so far. I mean, so much that you know the United States can now talk about you know making sure Russia can never do this again, mm-hmm. rather than talking about keeping you know uh, you know sort of our more limited aims early on in the war. There's been a real shift, Matt, in the conversation here. To Jeannie's point, the Pentagon thought that Ukraine could fall within days. Now that weeks and weeks have passed, we're hearing people all the way up to the Secretary of Defense say, we think that Ukraine can win this, not just hold off Russia for a period of time, but actually beat the Russian military here, based on what we've already seen so far and what might come next. And with the battle for the Donbass, though, looming, and knowing that Russia is regrouping, could the tide shift again? It's certainly possible. And I think, we, as we all know, one thing Russia doesn't like to be is embarrassed, right? And they clearly have been embarrassed. As you said, we were talking about how it was going to be just a matter of days before Ukraine fell. And every every night it seemed like there was going to be a new advancement. And, and yeah. look, I think it also uh, you know, laid bare the fact that Russia's military had been hollowed out. They have lots of planes and ships, but they're old and they're not as effectual. Um, and, and the way I kind of always think of it was, I almost think of it very similarly as you described it to what the Americans did against the British in the 1700s, where it was a it was a guerrilla war that they uh, did and 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 ended up winning, obviously, against a British that was old and and, and was really uh, kind of out of date. And yeah. I think that's in, in a way the Ukrainians have done a similar type of strategy. Many parallels there, Jeannie. But the worry, of course, is that the tactics change in the east that this becomes a tank battle this is this is traditional battlefield warfare no place is to hide this is not city uh, urban warfare it, it's there it's not forested the way the area surrounding kiev is i know we've been training or trying to train them on our howitzers and and try to work with our intelligence to give ukraine an upper hand but do you worry about the tide shifting here with russia in an area that might be more favorable to their ability I do. And I think we have to be concerned. Number one, this looks like this is going to be a long, drawn out war that we are not going to be out of here. You look at the 33 billion, the president saying that's for five months at least. And most military experts say this will be longer. Um, I also think with the change in the United States tone and message, there's a real concern that Russia starts to pit this against the United States more directly than Ukraine. And that is a big concern. They could use tactical nuclear and other kinds of weapons. And as you mentioned, the change in the war as they move to as they move sort of could really benefit Russia and play to their strengths. Um, we don't know at this point, but I think we have to be concerned. But I think that's why the president's ask right. to Congress is so critical at this point. In terms of that ask, Matt Gorman, thirty three billion dollars that is already talk about what will be attached to it. Uh, following your time in Washington politics here, what do you see Congress managing? Some COVID funding, some Title 42, maybe border funding, or does this need to be passed as a clean bill? I, I think you're certainly have going to have folks on both sides see an opportunity to essentially put their own priorities on. I, I think both sides recognize, and you could haggle about the dollar amount, but certainly both sides agree that there is a need for Ukraine aid to pass, and that because it is a equivalent of a must must pass bill focusing to try and get their priorities on it and mm-hmm. it, i think the the balance is what we've seen with with certain must pass bills whether it be debt ceilings or government uh funding bills is once you open up the christmas tree so to speak mm-hmm. everybody gets to hang an ornament 
And so I think there's going to be a push, whether it's Schumer and McConnell and, and Pelosi can agree to very much limit uh, any amendments, any other priorities that get attached onto this. But that being said, it's a matter of what the dollar amount is, and it's a matter of how many votes can they get for whatever dollar amount they end up settling. Sure. Yeah. Well, it looks like $10 billion for COVID, uh, down from the request of, of $22 billion, Jeannie. Does that get finally a home in this package? Desperately needed. I mean, the reality is both the 33 and the 10 billion for Ukraine and COVID mm-hmm. are desperately needed. You know that I am um, skeptical that they can get through cleanly and quickly, unfortunately, in this yeah. Congress so tight. But they're both desperately needed. And, and, and God willing, they get through quickly because, you know, both for our purposes and for the sake of, of Ukraine, this is money that's got to get out the door. It's not the only thing that's cooking on Capitol Hill right now, and we're going to spend a little more time with Matt Gorman and Jeannie Shanzano after we get into this antitrust bill. Coming up, a bipartisan antitrust bill aimed at big tech. It's gaining momentum in the Senate. We'll talk about it with Jen Reed of Bloomberg Intelligence coming up next on Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Glad to say we're joined in studio by Jen Rhee of Bloomberg Intelligence, who specializes in antitrust litigation and has been writing a lot about this big tech antitrust law that probably didn't get as much reporting as it deserved over the last week. Jen, it's great to see you. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. So uh, Amy Klobuchar on one side, the Democrat, Mm -hmm. Chuck Grassley, longtime uh, figure in Washington, Mm -hmm. iconic Republican, pushing this forward. It's got a lot of support, apparently, on both sides of the aisle. We can call this bipartisan, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, the co-sponsors, it's even crazier because you have five Democrats and five Republicans, and they really span. You know, they're not just sort of the moderates, but they span to the right and to the left. So this definitely has strong backing, bipartisan backing. Let me ask you how it actually works. People have been talking around this. It's called the... What innovation and choice online? And choice, yeah, act, it's a yeah. it's a name that you have no idea what this does. But we're talking <laughs> about the Fang companies. These are mm-hmm. big tech. This is Apple, right? This is Facebook. What mm-hmm. would it, what would it do? Yeah, so it has a number of measures, but really the basic the basic thing this law is trying to do is to stop these platforms that are gatekeepers from using that gatekeeper power to advantage themselves or to disadvantage their rivals, right? Because they're competing with the companies that are on their platform. Apple is, Amazon is. It's really easy to understand that example where it sells products uh, in competition with others that sell on the Amazon platform. So there are a number of measures that would basically try to level the playing field, make them all play fair and not discriminate against their rivals and not self-preference, not use that position to to preference themselves. Would they also have to promote their competitors' products on those platforms? Well, it wouldn't be about promoting. It's more about being neutral. I mean, I think back sometimes to the early days of Google. And when you do a Google search, before Google had a lot of verticals like travel and Google shopping and all that, Mm -hmm. and the best response based on their algorithm would come up. And and now what you have instead are a lot of ads, you have Google's response, you have the Google products that would satisfy your search that are coming up first. May not be the best, they may be the best, but it's not necessarily a neutral algorithm. And I think what this would require is more neutrality in that kind of a, an activity. It's fascinating that this is happening against the backdrop of this Elon Musk Twitter yes. story. Uh, because that's got the attention of a lot of Democrats, for instance. Um, this particular bill, uh, fascinating to hear a Republican come out against it in the name of former senator and former ambassador Scott Brown, who we talked to earlier this week 
they have uh, the Competition Coalition mm-hmm. that is supposedly a light-touch regulation advocacy group. Uh, and he was sending a message to his Republican colleagues saying, look, Chuck Grassley, I respect you, but you've essentially been misled that this is not about censorship. This is not about the issues that mm-hmm. conservatives have with big tech, that this is actually an answer to what Democrats are worried about. Is is he close to the truth? Well, I think he's right about that. And it could be that, you know, a Chuck Grassley, for instance, isn't really being misled, understands what this is about, but would simply like to punish these companies. I mean, mm. that could be part of what's behind it. There is no doubt that the Democrats and the Republicans, and there are exceptions, but generally, speaking generally, are coming at this from two different angles. The Democrats simply don't like the power that these companies have amassed. They think antitrust enforcement has been lax, and they think they need to be curbed. They, they need to be contained. The Republicans, on the other hand, really see them as left-leaning organizations that push left ideas and censor conservative viewpoints. And they'd like that to stop, but they'd also like to punish that conduct. Mm-hmm. So this doesn't do anything about censorship. You are right. And mm-hmm. I think part that is part of the reason it might actually have trouble getting the 60 votes it needs on the Senate floor to become law, because I'm not so sure you're going to get the Republicans you need. Uh, because that's not what it does. And you also may have a few Democrats that are not behind this because the California Democrats don't all necessarily like it. And some have Mm. expressed some concerns about the unintended consequences. About harming companies in their own backyard. Exactly. If this became law, it would impact the books, right? This would have a, a meaningful impact on earnings, right? I think that it would, and I think it differs by If they're company. not aggressively selling right. their own products in the sure. same style, I presume this comes out on the other end. Right, absolutely. Now, it's going to be different by company. I mean, obviously, I think this law hits Apple, um, um, uh, Google, Alphabet, yep. I should call it, um, and um, Amazon more so than Facebook, let's Got it. say, because you know Facebook isn't necessarily promoting its own products right. on its platform. Uh, so it's going to hit them all differently, and it depends on actually how it's administered by a judge, because you know it's pretty vague and it actually has some defenses. And in my mind, as a lawyer, what that means is it's just going to go to court. Mm-hmm. So they're going to engage in conduct. Someone will say it violates the FTC or DOJ will say it violates the law, and they'll say, well, we have defenses, and it's going to be hashed out by a judge. So this builds a whole new layer of yes. litigation around big tech came out of committee right what are the chances this gets to the floor soon well they have to get it to the floor soon to get it done because of the august midterm elections and i think if it doesn't get to the floor before that it's probably the august done. recess the august recess yeah. i'm sorry can they get it done in a midterm election year though you just that slip was actually an important one i'm not really sure that they can i'm one of the skeptics now i'm hearing a lot of people say oh this is it this is going to happen it's bipartisan it was voted out of the committee i think 16-6 yeah um it's going to happen i'm skeptical that it will apple alone google alone any of them must have monster lobbying efforts absolutely. underway now right oh absolutely dumping cash yes. To, will that have an impact? I mean, that's how you peel off a couple lawmakers, right? I think it could have an impact because you have fence sitters. And when you have fence sitters, yeah. you have those politicians that aren't sure. Maybe they don't even understand exactly what this does because they don't understand the tech behind it. And you have that kind of money to lobby. You may pull those fence sitters over to your side. So, yes, I do think that that has an impact, particularly where it's so tight. That, mm-hmm. You know, you need those 60 votes in the Senate, which means you must get all Democrats and some Republicans. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult. That group I mentioned being run by Scott Brown says that this is what China wants. This will actually help China compete more in the big tech space. Is that true? Well, I think it does because it forces these American companies to do business with any takers, right? It forces them to be neutral and to 
allow any entity that wants to do business on their platform to do that business. Including promoting Chinese in, Including companies. that. Now, there are, as I said, there are defenses. And so they can, they can take actions based on mm -hmm. privacy, security, things like that. And so they could there could be denials of, let's say, a Chinese entity on, the, on that basis. But it really does sort of force them to open up and work with any competitors out there. You do such great work at Bloomberg Intelligence. I'm a huge fan. Thank I really you. appreciate your sharing your insights today. Jen Ree, with us on the Fastest Hour in Politics. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. This is Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. Thanks for being with us on the fastest hour in politics as we reassemble the panel. Jeannie is with us. Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributor. Joined today by Matt Gorman of Targeted Victory, former communications director at the NRCC. Great to have both of you here as we move to antitrust here. That conversation I just had with Jen Ree uh, from Bloomberg Intelligence uh, raised a lot of questions about this ever really even seeing the light of day. But Jeannie, this is a bipartisan piece of legislation. You've got Amy Klobuchar and Chuck Grassley on the same issue. Uh, that's got to be worth something, right? It should be. Um, but the reality is, in our country, we have really not passed comprehensive regulation in the tech space. I mean, ever. So the idea, we've had a couple narrow, two narrow tech bills, if you will, mm -hmm. but nothing comprehensive for 25 years. And so the idea that this would pass in a Senate 50-50 in a House this close, I think is, again, an uphill battle. So I agree with Jen on that. You know, we keep hearing, uh, and I've said it myself here, Matt, that it's it's one of the few things that Republicans and Democrats can agree on. They've got trouble with big tech. The problem is they've got different trouble with big tech, right? You've got censorship allegations, concerns on one side. You've got, uh, you know, too big to fail on the other side, if that's the phrase that I should be reaching for here. Democrats think the size and scale is a problem with these companies. 
if the aim is the same, but the motivation is different, can you still make legislation? Uh, well, I, I tend to agree with Jen as well. Uh, you know, it is bipartisan, but the key is it's not bicameral in that there is not as much House agreement uh-huh. on a bill. Um, and so with, I think, Republicans poised to take the House, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw, um, you know, House Republicans say, you know, let, let's pump the brakes on this mm. a bit because there will be a chance for us to make our own legislation. Um, and, you know, if it passes, if it passes, if it doesn't, it doesn't. But they, they want to be able to shape it in their own uh, vision. So I think that is the sticking point here. And look, I think to your point, big tech is an issue. I think that has really been propelled uh, from both parties being really kind of anti-big tech in different ways in the last five years. You didn't talk about this five years ago. It's been a shift. Well, I don't know, Jeannie, if this is moving anywhere, but it might prompt a conversation that leads to several competing bills. I mean, if this one doesn't make the grade, is it possible if there's so much motivation to do something here uh, that maybe once we get through the midterms, there's another crack at this? I think there's going to be another crack at it. I would guess it's going to be likely, as you said, after the midterms. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, this is not unusual in the history of the United States. You look at regulation in railroads, for instance, took a long time. Mm -hmm. Part of the reason is, as you talked about, there's different motivations. You know, do do. Congress people want to protect consumers? Absolutely. But there's also this question of you also want to encourage this really important sector of our economy, these tech companies, to grow. And those two things can often clash. And of course, it's Washington, D.C. So you've got a ton of lobbyists (laughs) and you've got a Congress that doesn't do much these days. So all of those things spiral to make it a really difficult path forward. I think we'll get there at some point, but I don't think in a really tough midterm election year we're going to see a bill like this get through. But, you know, you give yeah. Klobuchar, you give you, you give the two of them, Grassley, real credit for pushing it this far. Well, it has gotten out of committee. We'll see if it moves beyond this. The other one, though, that is uh, is is not moving very quickly is this China competes bill. And I realize they actually managed to, to vote for a conference committee yesterday. That's a big uh, move forward, I suppose. But this has been going on for a year now. Another example of Democrats and Republicans agreeing Right. We need to better compete with China, but they have different ideas of how to go about doing that. Matt, do you see this finally coming together, the House and Senate versions cooked into something that can become a law? I hope so. And I think, you know, normally when we talk about conference committees, it's an encouraging step. And it is in this case. But the problem is conference committees are usually maybe a dozen people from from all the chambers yes, combined. Right. This this is roughly 100, 100 you have so people. many different. This is there's so many stakes here because they, they, there's different components of the bill and everybody owns a different portion. So it's really like getting it through another legislative branch. Um, I, I certainly hope so. Uh, you know, and I feel like with a lot of these sorts of things, it's not going to happen, not going to happen, not going to happen. And then all of a sudden there's a lot of momentum and it does. And I think when you have the votes, you vote. So I wouldn't huh. be surprised if you hear it's the end is near. Uh, in a a negative way for a while, but then all of a sudden it just gets momentum and it shoots right through. A hundred people all with different priorities, Jeannie. Uh, Yes. This this has really taken some time. Could it actually happen before the midterms? (laughs) I want to say yes so badly, Joe. Um, (laughs) I mean, if not, this is going to die on the vine, right? Gina Raimondo has said other countries are going to woo these chip makers to go uh, set up foundries there and they're not going to come to the U.S. 
That's right. And, you know, the the problem is not just a matter of what's in the bill and, and, and the differences in the bill, which is difficult in and of itself and, and the different ideas that legislators are bringing to it. There's also a matter of timing. When you look at the calendar of Congress before the midterm, they have limited time to get this stuff through. I mean, if we think that by, say, you know, Memorial Day or July 4th, that everything turns towards the, the midterm, do we really think that in September, Congress is going to come back and work together? And I agree, this is critically important. Yeah. But, you know, and, and I would just add, you know, it, this is a bill that they can't even agree on the name of it, quite frankly. So I'm not so certain they're going to get the bill through, wow. but that's another story. Well, that's a lot of capital blown on an idea that seemed like a pretty good one to everybody. Uh, Matt, what's the lesson here? I mean, the lesson is even among something we all agree on in principle, it's still really hard to get things done. Yeah. We all agree that we can need to take on China. We all agree that we need these chip manufacturers in the United States. Uh, but as I said uh, earlier in the show about how everybody starts hanging their own priorities on it, this bill went from uh, fairly narrow mm-hmm. to everybody started getting their priorities on it. Everybody wanted the piece of the pie and it becomes pretty unwieldy. So that's the really tough part about this, and that's why it's uh, becoming tough. Tough to legislate in this environment. In our remaining moments with Jeannie and Matt, I want to ask you about the White House Correspondents' Dinner tomorrow night. Dr. Fauci's not going. 2,600 people all in one room. I'm doubting there are many masks. Joe Biden is still going, though, and I realize they're messaging through his actions here Jeannie, the, if you're encouraging people to get back on uh, subways and go back to the office and start living your life again, the president needs to lead by example. Is this the example that he should be showing? You know, I, I don't think so. And I have to tell you, I know, I, I know it's not a popular view, but when you have a vice president with COVID, yeah. you have a president of, of his age. I, I granted that he is, you know, vaccinated uh, four times, apparently. But, you know, I'm not so certain if this was an important policy meeting, something mm-hmm. critical for the American people. Yes, by all means, go. I'm not so sure the White House Correspondents Dinner is important enough that we risk it with a vice president with COVID. Imagine if they both have COVID. That, oh that concern. Me. That's almost a national security issue, Matt. I don't know if you agree. I believe the White House, though, has a laid out protocol for how that would work. They say if, even if the president did test positive, he'd still be able to get his work done. But it's messaging here, right? We saw him walk into the, the, the House chamber unmasked for the first time for the State of the Union. Is this the proper follow up to that? And if you remember, they did that State of the Union right before they recommended you don't need to wear masks inside anymore. Yeah. And it's funny how they tend to change the rules right around when it benefits them. And look, I'll, I'll be at some events surrounding it. It won't be the dinner itself. And look, I don't mind the fact you're not wearing masks. I don't mind that Joe Biden's going to be there. Yeah. That's his you know, prerogative. But what I do mind is when they are then challenging the masks on airplanes rule mm-hmm. or when they're taking other steps that that seem to be incongruous with how they act uh, in other situations. That's what I have the issue with. Matt Gorman, Jeannie Shanzano. I hope the speech is funny, at least, if he's going to such risk. Thanks to both of you for the insights. As always, our panel on the Friday edition of Sound On. We'll see you back here on Monday. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg.